Today's scripture reading is Luke 21, 25 through 36. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the seas. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. We are in the season of Advent. Uh, the word Advent comes from the Latin advenio, which means to come to. Uh, it is the root word, of, in fact, of the, the word adventure, right? We're, we come to special places or we go special places and, and arrive there and it's, it's an adventure, right? <laughs> Historically, Advent has been a time of fasting and prayer in anticipation of the return of Christ as well as the celebration of Jesus' birth. It is the past, present, and future, kind of all mixed in together, which makes it kind of fun. And this is why we have been given this rather somber and gloomy text to work with over Advent. And uh, most of us preachers, uh, when we get these texts, we kind of we run to the Old Testament texts, which offer a more... Uh, lovely and familiar anticipation of the coming Messiah that was realized on Christmas morn. In fact, the reading for this week was the one about a shoot coming out of the stump of Jesse, which is, you know, a lot cheerier than the sun, moon, and stars falling and turning gray and war and pestilence and all of that. But this year I decided to embrace the gospel text and deal with it head on and go ahead and take a look at this. The first thing I wish to observe here is that I appreciate the contrast of the dark tone of the apocalyptic warnings of Jesus uh, just before the passion here in this story. It's right before Jesus is arrested and, and taken off. And it's, it's quite a contrast to the candy cane, door buster, happy, happy, joy, joy season brought to us by the commercial version of pre-Christmas um, you know, and a lot of people know that, that I seem like I'm not a real big fan of the Christmas season. And, uh, you know, I know I come off that way. But it's not that I dislike Christmas. I'm a big, I love Christmas. I love Christmas. It's that I distrust Christmas 
And I'm a, I, I, I come into this, I come into December knowing that I'm going to get marketed to like crazy and I find myself kind of guarded, which is a terrible thing for a pastor to be during the season of Advent, but I find myself just guarded and full of mistrust about, and I, about the money I'm spending and, and how I'm getting suckered into buying things that, that I really don't need and and it gets kind of it gets kind of difficult and there is a lot can we admit can we be honest about this there's a lot of pressure around christmas amen there's a lot of pressure there's a lot of pressure to for the place to look good there's a lot of pressure for you to look good there's a lot of pressure to cook the right things and to buy the right gifts and i got to say for many of us for many around christmas time it's one of the most depressing times of years a lot of you know depression and all of that really uh, gets deep over the Christmas season. A depression that is cam- compounded by the guilt felt when one is not able to contrive a joy for the rest of the world to see, right? There's this huge expectation that we're going to be joyous and, and rejoicing in this time. And for the most part, I think we always do, but there's still that, you know, sometimes you still get down, and yet there's all this pressure to be, to be happy at. For many who experience this at Christmas, it's not silver bells or the joy brought to the world that really gives them something to latch onto. Their Christmas joy hinges on the hope that Jesus represents. It's like all the pressure for me, this is how I experience, all that distrust, all that anxiety, all of that pressure that seems to get built up over the month of December, well, almost beginning in October in some instances but all that all that anxiety you know what it all goes away on christmas eve it all just goes because quite frankly if i haven't done it by now it ain't getting done and so by christmas eve i'm just like you know it's almost as if the hope of christ is realized and i can finally relax and enjoy it and embrace it and all that distrust all of that anxiety all of that defensiveness i seem to have disappears and i think that is the that is the gift that we have when we think about the hope that is represented by christ you know hope is not really something they are selling in the commercial version of christmas at least not hope that acknowledges the real struggles of being human and the reality of a hurt and broken world in need of hope indeed that is what this text is really about it is about hope i know it's hard to see that because it's kind of a gloomy you know end of the world text but it is about hope and it conveys to the world hope but in order to really grasp how important this hope is, we must not hear it as it comes from the mouth of Christ, but hear it as it's penned by Luke, the one who authored the Gospel. Luke, who wrote this to a struggling and a persecuted community. A community that had observed the destruction of the temple some 50 years after Christ was crucified and rose, and who now wonder, what does it all mean? What is going to happen to us? What are we going to do? And for this community, it meant that they were close to the end. 
Jesus is coming any moment now, right? It should be no surprise that first century Christians were expecting Jesus to come in like two weeks. And they were, they were anticipating Jesus to come and fix everything real quickly. So they stopped marrying, they stopped buying stuff, they stopped living life to some extent until they started to realize, wait a minute, it's been a few weeks now, it's been a few years now. All of a sudden they had to start living in the hope of Jesus' return, but in the reality that who knows when that's going to be. And indeed, this is what this community clung to. Because of the persecution they were experiencing at the time, they clung to the hope of Jesus' return. When freedom and justice are denied in this life, one is forced to look to the next and to the hope of things being set right. And so these early followers of Christ who were under the thumb of Roman occupation, who were being kicked out of the synagogues and their and denied access to their traditions and their families even. They looked to Christ and they looked at the conditions of the world and they recalled the words of Jesus. Look for the signs and be prepared for the day. Of course, as time goes on, it becomes clear that this was not the time. And in fact, all through history since then, when suffering was rampant, and injustice was the norm, people heard these words fresh. And indeed, the second coming was a link to their peace, and it was a day that they longed for. And so as you look at this text, and you try to put yourself in a position of longing for Jesus to come and take away the troubles of the world, you can see now how it starts to emerge as a text of hope. Hope that all of the suffering that we are experiencing today will come to an end when Jesus returns. And i got to say, I would never wish to take away the hope for justice of God being promised here to a hurt and broken world. For those who suffer, and there is suffering in the world that we cannot even imagine sitting in our pews here in Salt Lake City. For those who suffer, these texts and this second coming idea is a link to peace and a link to hope. Yet I also share that the second coming becomes less important when relative freedom and justice is available to the average person. In such times, the apocalyptic nature of this and other passages becomes more allegorical for us to access. And in such times, these texts can still bring comfort to ho- and hope, but they come to the reader as an opportunity not to wait for Jesus to come, but as a call to empowerment. And so what do we do with this text today? Is the hope of this text found in God bringing about the reign of God through a dramatic and swift action at some later point in time? Or shall we hear in it the words of empowerment for ushering in the reign of God through the power we receive as a gift from God? What I will say is that the whole of our theology hinges on the notion that God 
has been at work in the world, is at work in the world, and will be at work in the world into the future. Amen? At the very beginning, God was there. God is here now. At the very end, God will be there. These texts that urge us to look for the second coming never do so without reminding us that it is an issue of being ready to receive what God is giving. Amen. This text acknowledges that the state of the world, the turmoil, the brokenness, the despair will be evident. And when we see these signs, when we see the despair, when we experience the despair, be ready. Be ready, be watchful. Because at these times, more than ever, we will need to see the reality that God is at work. And more than that, we are called to join God in this redemptive work that reaches out to a hurt and broken world. When the Hebrew people were in Egypt and the pharaohs had forgotten about Joseph and enslaved God's people, it seemed as though the world had fallen apart around them. And yet, Jehovah heard their cry. They waited a long time. But at just the right time, God called Moses and said, Go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go that I am. It says to let them go. And in hope they cried out. In hope they waited. In hope they were ready. And in time, their hope was realized. A thousand years later, the people cry out again. Once again, people are repressed by Rome this time. People are oppressed by religious aristocracy who use the Word of God and who use the Kingdom of God as a way to keep people out and to line their own pockets. Oh yes, the world looks ugly. And once again, the people cry out to God and once again, God responds in a world of despair and bondage, into a world of greed and violence, into a world of oppression and brokenness, a little child was born. This child would redefine what a relationship with God looks like. This child's message of love was so potent that when hate filled the world, it tried to squash what this little child brought. But even death could not stop it. And that same potent message calls people today to come follow Him. In hope, they waited. In hope, they were ready. And in time, their hope was realized. Jump ahead another 2,000 or so years. And we find ourselves in another time. There are many places and many people who may look around and see that the world is falling apart. You wouldn't believe 
how on, on, on I know 9/11's been a long been a while ago, but you wouldn't believe how many people called me on the phone wondering if it was the end of the world on that day. And we can it's easy to look around anytime. It's easy to open up a newspaper and look around and see that the world is falling apart. And I'm not necessarily one of them, but I can see the signs. As I hear Jesus call us to watch and be ready, I look around and I see signs. I see signs that people are losing hope. Our man, and in general it is men, our man-made religions have lost their heart in so many places. Time and energy are in short supply. We're weary. We're a weary people. People die of cancer. People die of AIDS. People die in war. Our hearts are broken. There are many who will try to call out peace, peace, but there is no peace. Israel and Palestine are this close to wiping each other off the planet. In a world of abundance, there seems to be such scarcity And even as we look around at God's creation, it seems that the world has a mortality as we watch it die over time. In these despairing days, this text comes to us and urges us to live in hope. And this is where the rubber hits the road for those of us who follow Christ. We are told in this text, raise up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Amen. This is the hope we are called to live in. When the rest of the world is saying, oh man, this has got to be the end. Where is God in the middle of all this? Look how ugly and awful and terrible people are. Look how ugly and awful the world is. Why bother? When people are going around killing others or killing themselves, it represents a loss of hope. Where can we find it? We are called to see where God is at work and to join God in this work. In a world that has lost its hope, we are called to be a light in the darkness. Here's one of the myths I think we labor under. Somehow, we who follow Christ have gotten the notion that the way it works is that when we are about our stuff, right? when we're doing our thing, when we're going about our life and trying to make it all work, and we pray to God, somehow God comes and joins us in what we're doing. And, and we invite God, come and join me, God, in doing the stuff I'm doing. I'd like you to be in the midst of what I want to do. Please come and join me in that. That isn't how it works. I don't know where we got this notion. God comes and is like, hey, what are you doing? You know, and how can I lend a hand? That isn't how it works. We, the, the God's kind of waiting for us there. This is not how it works at all. God is at work. Christ is about His redemptive work in the world and where the hurt and despair is most felt and where the hope is most needed. That's where God's at work. And then we are invited to join Him. That's why we're called followers of Christ. So we can follow. (laughs) We follow where Jesus goes and where we're called to come. 
And we need to be followers of Jesus. We need to be followers of Jesus because the world is in despair and without hope. Did you hear the news coming in this morning? The world is hurt. The world is broken. The world is in need of redemption. Look around. You can see the signs. That's what this text says. Look around. See the signs of a world desperate for hope. And we can sit back and kind of isolate ourselves away from that despair. But I can tell you what, if that's what we're doing, Jesus isn't there. Because Jesus is out there where the hopelessness is. Jesus is out there where the despair is. Jesus is out there where the light is needed in the darkness. Amen. Oh, you can do it better than that. <laughs> That's where Jesus is. And as followers of Jesus, we're called to follow and to bring this light of hope to a hurt and a broken world. Go where we're called. An example that came to mind when I was preparing this was a guy named Pastor Emery Andrews. He was a pastor at Japanese Baptist Church. I've told this story before. Japanese Baptist Church in Seattle in 1942. And one Sunday, he got up to preach and his entire congregation had been taken from Seattle to Minidoka, Idaho. And he stood up in front of an empty church and he turned around and went home and he said, we're moving to Idaho. Why? Because his congregation was there. And they needed hope. And they needed the light of Christ's love. And he went and suffered hate from all the other white folks in Idaho. Except for the American Baptist Church in Twin Falls, which said, we'll go with you, Pastor. And brought hope and light in the midst of despair. And he stayed with them until they were all released. An incredible story of following Jesus where Jesus leads. For them, in that camp, the world was collapsing around them. They saw the signs that Jesus described. I'm sure they wondered the same thing. They said, Pastor... Is this it? Is the world coming to an end? But he brought that redemptive work of Christ to that camp. And there, there's so many faithful stories that come out of that today. It is hope that Christ brings to the world. And you and I as we have experienced God's light, are called as ambassadors of that hope to the world around us. We're called. The world is crying out. And God responds in hope. And God in due time sends you and me through the power of Christ's Spirit out into the world to answer those cries for redemption and salvation. As we prepare for the joyous, wonderful day of Jesus' birth, I invite you 
to recommit yourself to being followers of Christ. Going where we're needed and bringing light into the darkness. Let us pray. Our gracious and loving God, we come this morning, some of us wondering where that hope is and hearing a message that You respond to our hopelessness. And many of us come wondering what all the fuss is about because there is so much joy around us. And we hear the call to be the light of that joy into the world. Help us. Help us to live into the hope that You profess in this Scripture. We ask all this in the powerful name of Christ. Amen.